Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba to news. Scuba Obsessed, episode 334, is recorded live July 6th, 2017. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan, where we are right in the middle of some beautiful summer weather. Joining me this week, we have Kevin Ailes. How are you doing today, Kevin? I am doing most excellent, Darren. And how about yourself? I am not doing bad. I, I absolutely love this weather. My wife is a little upset. She says it's a little bit warm. But as we've talked before, you don't want to start complaining about warm weather. Because we'll be certainly wishing we had it here in about January. Yeah, I mean, you kind of got to take what you're given, and hey, this is definitely good diving weather. This is good, good beaching weather, um, you know, grilling weather. You know, we all had a great Fourth of July in this area, so uh, enjoy it while you can. And in the chat room, we have some lively discussions. We have Eric, we have Mullinex, we have guest number two, and we had talked about actually doing a little bit different episode tonight. So, what, what, what did we? What we're going to call it, Kevin? Uh, varmint obsessed. I know we've been talking all about raccoons and coyotes and skunks and possums and stuff here in the chat room warming up. Eric had this idea about, about take a varmint diving. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of, gotta be careful what you're referring to as a varmint though. <laughs> so, you know. I think about half, uh, half the muddies we could qualify as varmints. Uh, well, you know, I think we, I think we do have some varmints that tend to show up, you know, here and there at, uh, you know, our ice, our um, New Year's festival and kind of stuff here and there. So yeah, um, yeah. I'll go for that. But I think what brought this up is we had uh, one of the listeners uh, was had a concern, and I know this is a punchline to many jokes, but he was worried about beavers. Which I've never I, been worried about beavers. I kind of like beavers, but. Yeah, and, and I I kind of agree with you, Kevin. But uh, I guess if it's a, if it's an unwanted beaver, you know, if you're worried about a, a beaver attack, you know, a vicious attack, then uh, maybe something. And I th- I think uh, what was it, Max saying that you should make a lot of noise, you know, run, run your dive knife against the wall, and uh, that might scare the beaver away. I think you just need to carry a big stick. Big stick. Of course, that that, that might attract the beavers if if the stick is wood. So. Yeah, it 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 depends uh, the the shape and format of the stick. You know, it can you know they they, they say it, it it you know its orientation and and size will matter. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so I love the straight what, face there. What, All right. What, yeah, so what? So our, our rating has changed. <laughs> so we we are now the one the show tagged explicit. Yeah, you know, and it's like now we're gonna we we just uh, offended fifty one percent of our audience here <laughs> yes. now. So yes, but, and for some for some reason I got booted out of the chat room here and I can't seem to get back in. I wonder if that has anything to do with the beaver conversation we're having here. Yeah, is, is, is the FCC listening in on us? And um, they, yeah, we they do some. Uh, you know, they the, you know you've got uh, some of that technology now where it's uh, checking for what you're saying and it kicks you out. You know, I think what it is it's. Uh, 
we must have uh, tripped some triggers, and now we could, with the FBI all listening in on on the podcast. Well, you know, it's we not like we, we said bomb or explosives or terrorist or Al Qaeda. You know, had we said that, had we said those things, then you we, know that, that that's that's one way to fill the chat room up. Come on, yeah, we're gonna, we're, trying. we're gonna we're gonna have we're gonna have Al Qaeda and ISIS and everybody else in here. You know, so yeah, yeah we're, yeah, we're gonna have, the, have anonymous and everything. I mean, come on. I'm, you know, as far as Google stats, they all count. So we can up our numbers right there. Go to Facebook, like us. You know, give us any of your. Uh, I was, I, maybe I better stop now. I can get myself in a whole lot of trouble. Yeah, <laughs> Real quick, <laughs> telling you what what you should leave on our Facebook page. You know, Darren, you are already going to be on the no fly list as it is, but <laughs> come on. No, I haven't. I actually haven't been in a plane in almost a year now, which is. A long time for me, so maybe that's what's happened. Maybe they know better than even send me anywhere. That may be. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and jump right. Go ahead. What was that? Darren, are you still in the chat room? I got booted out, and I cannot get back into it for anything. Are you still in there? Is everything okay? I'm in there. Yeah, it looks like everything's okay. Let me paste. uh, I'll give everybody in the chat room our first article. So I'm going to paste that in. Yep, it's working. It just uh, pasted. It's you, you, you must be the, the unlucky one this week. I think it takes turns on who can't get in. It was me earlier today. I was I couldn't get in to start the, the podcast. And Mac was trying to get in today, and I think he got trapped by Windows updates. So uh, he'll be back in, in a week. Uh, we've been recording these yeah. a week behind and editing them, and we'll get caught back up next week, uh, which recording-wise will be, what's that, the 13th? Uh, we won't be recording, but we'll have an episode. It'll be this episode, so you'll be hearing this episode on the 13th. Everybody else this week will be hearing the one we recorded on July 29th. So we'll we'll get back up to parody. So instead of waiting a week to hear the episode, it should be right away and knock on wood, barring any technical problems. This first okay. article... I'll it, tell you, go ahead. I'll, I'll be missing a, a few episodes, I'm afraid. Um, I'm going to be up uh, shipwreck hunting up in the UP here pretty soon. So uh, oh, cool. I'm going to try to uh, join you remotely, but I can't promise that because I'm going to be in the very definition of BFE here. So, yeah. Well, are you going to be in the UP? The upper uh, sort of, yeah. Sort of, okay. Well, I was saying if you go to Upper yeah. Peninsula, before you go over the bridge, I've heard that there's an Internet connection at the south side of the bridge, and if you plug that in and then drag the cable across, you can sometimes get coverage on the other side. I'll give it a shot. <laughs> Yeah, now now after well, I've now insulted fifty two percent of our audience because that was the other one percent was uh, uh, divers from the Upper Peninsula. Yeah, that's that's why I'm no longer in the chat room for sure. So yeah, I got insulted enough here that. So this first article we have up, and we usually don't talk about fatalities, but we do have a few that we'll be talking about tonight. This one was uh, involved White Star Quarry, uh, our. Our, the friend of the show, uh, Rich Sinewick of Divers Incorporated, runs the concessions at White Star. And uh, while I haven't talked to him personally, uh, the the cause of death of a diver who had died, let's see if we got the date, it was on June 17th. Mary Wolf of Plainwell, Ohio, was found floating near the shoreline of the quarry. This is according to Sandusky County Park District Director Andrew Brown. He said Wolf was not diving that day, but instead testing her buoyancy in the water. The woman's found dead at the White Star Quarry, and they're saying that uh, now that they've done the autopsy, the complications of a pre-existing heart condition uh, in this preliminary report. 
Her dive gear came back with a dive time of zero minutes and zero seconds. She was not wearing gloves or a hood, which if you're diving, you would because of the chilly water and temperature near the bottom of the quarry. Brown says he believes Wolf died before she actually began to dive. The preliminary autopsy report released by the Sandusky County Coroner's Office revealed the cause of death was, oh, goodness, cardiomegaly, which is enlarged heart with a biventricle dilation and pulmonary edema, a condition caused by fluid in the lungs. And, you know, before we go any closer, this is why you should be willing to call, call a dive at any time if you just don't feel right. It's because these conditions can lurk, and that can happen. If you've got fluid in your lungs and you don't realize it, diving is like the worst thing you can be doing. Uh, Brown said the Park District is still waiting for an uh, air sample test toxicology reports, but said the pre-existing heart condition is believed to be the reason Wolf died. With a pre-existing heart condition, the heart is already working harder, and with a 90-degree temperatures, heavy equipment, it can cause a lot of strain. Brown said Wolf was alone, even though the district requires a diving buddy in all the scuba dives, but it wasn't necessary in Wolf's case because the 58-year-old woman was not planning on diving, only testing her buoyancy in the water. Wolf's spy was well, discovered. Just, Go ahead. I think it was just testing her buoyancy that she's, you know, going to be over her head in her scuba gear, which I think would qualify as diving, though. So I think that's a technicality there. Yeah, uh, because, I mean, what, I, what I'm assuming when they say testing the buoyancy, and you're right, is that she was just going to go in and you know see how her weighting was, and you and you you should expect uh-huh. if you're testing your buoyancy that you could be underwater. So I'm imagining she had a regulator in her mouth, she was breathing off it, and that may be the reason why they're uh, checking uh, the gas to make sure that there wasn't anything wrong with the gas. But we, we're going to assume that there wasn't. Uh-huh. Um, and how I mean, and this is not an instructional course, but how I I've been told to check for your buoyancy is you have the air completely out of your bc and you should be not not completely yeah completely out yeah uh and you should be floating like uh with the water right in the middle of your mask yeah i should be able to um and you should do it like with your tank at 500 psi because that's the lightest your tank is going to get you want to come you know account for the, the weight of the air in your tank. Yes. And to, at the end of your dive, like even like doing your safety stop, you know, you should be able to, uh, at your, at, when you're doing your safety stop, with empty lungs, you should sink. With full lungs, you should be neutral with the, with the tank, which is you know, mm-hmm. basically empty. Yeah. So, yeah. so the, her body was found uh, floating near the quarry beach around 1.47 p.m., uh, the day after Wolf's incident, Brown said uh, Anne-Marie Laporte, 55, Strongville, was treated for water in her lungs after she and her diving buddy were surfacing and Laporte swallowed water. Well, that must be somebody else. So, Yeah. So just be careful out there. I mean, you, especially as we get older, me especially, uh, yeah, there's no sense in taking chances. If you, you can always dive another day if you call it early, get something checked out. Well, any diver has a right to call any dive at any time for any reason. So, And then this next one, again, an, uh, another diving incident, uh, not with the best outcome. Uh, and the, the article from the newsminute.com says a holiday gone wrong. Car uh, Nikita woman slips into coma after scuba diving accident in Hawaii. 
In a tragic incident, a 20-year-old woman slipped into a coma after a scuba diving attempt went wrong. Uh, born in, oh, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm, what was it, L-A-K-K-A-V-A-L-I, Lakavia. Uh, Certhy married. Better, you better use me. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> the, these are five-syllable names. Uh, her, uh, we'll say her husband, a software engineer working for Yahoo in uh, San Jose, California, 11 months ago. She moved to the USA, and the couple had decided to vacation Hawaii Island for a week. On June 30th, I received a call from my son-in-law. He told me that uh, Surthi was in a coma, not responding to anyone. Earlier that day, Surthi and her husband had attempted uh, scuba diving. My daughter had never tried it before. It was the first time. They are still not supposed to go inside the water, but while they're on the deck, both their oxygen pipes snapped and they fell into the water. Uh, the daughter's, fa- the Surthi's father said, "Yes, that's the only reason I'm covering this is because this is beyond bizarre." Uh, I oxygen pipes snapped and they fell into the water. We've got, <laughs> you know. Okay, I'm thinking that. The writer of this, A, uh, English is not their primary language, and B, knows nothing at all about scuba diving, and C, an awful lot got lost in translation. Well, that's what I'm uh, thinking. I'm, I, I'm imagine, I don't know how many time zones apart they are, but it's got to be a stressful call to get that your daughter's in a coma. And then trying to describe something, it got interpreted as oxygen pipe snapped and they fell into a water. So, I mean, the first question comes is, if they're not supposed to be in the water, how come they are in the water? And I, I'm having to assume that oxygen pipes is just completely wrong, that there's it has nothing to do with oxygen pipes. They said, uh, and then going oh. on in the article, she was rescued immediately. Expert divers swung into action looking for her and, and fished her out within minutes. By the time she was taken to Maui Memorial Medical Center in Sunnyvale, it was too late. The exact cause of the accident is not clear. While diving is high risk activity, they say it's mostly safe. The most common causes of diving accidents are pre-existing disease, poor buoyancy control, rapid ascent, violent water movement, equipment problems, and gas supply problems. The doctors told my son-in-law by the time the divers got my daughter out, the water had already entered her lung. She had slipped in a coma before they got her to the hospital. She has not woken up or responded in four days. The doctor suggested we visit her as soon as possible, but we don't have passports. So they're currently having passports rushed through the process. A regional passport officer uh, assured me of immediate assurance of the issuance of a passport, which uh, they're talking about the country they're in, not the U.S. Uh, they said today's interviewed the passport. I want to see if we do everything to help her. So depending if that country's approved, they still have to get a visa. Now, most likely you would hope that the visa is going to be coming pretty quickly uh, with a verifiable medical incident like this. But the reason I covered it was just that the oxygen pipes broke and they fell into the water. So... Yeah, there's something certainly lost in translation. Hopefully, we'll be able to get an update. You know, we certainly hope for her and her family things work out. But this is not a normal condition that should be happening as part of training. You know, but well, I'm not seeing anything mentioned about there being instructors on hand either. They said that they're talking about they were decided to attempt scuba diving. Like, are you doing this without proper instruction? Or I mean, you're supposed to have someone qualified to teach you on hand. Well, they said expert divers, so I was thinking expert divers meant the instructors, but it could just be knowledgeable people. 
both their oxygen pipes snapped. I'm, I'm thinking they're walking on a dock. So say this was going to be like the introduction of diving, but why would you even be near the water? I mean, you would, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot that doesn't sound right, but it's a vacation course. So maybe it was one of those resort courses where you've got, you know, a couple dive masters, uh, you go through a quick well, checklist and then they hold your hand and you go diving. Maybe they, well, and, and we, and we, and we've all seen, you know, destinations where the facilities were not maintained first class and, you know, it could be a bit of a hazard. Perhaps they were like on a, a floating dock that had some kind of support to it there, which gave way or who knows yeah. what. But we could, we could do, you know, double advocate and suppositions on this forever. You know, clearly they had an accident and it was a, a, a tragic outcome. Uh, I mean, I don't, I was told through with Patty, rescue diver course, that the, uh, Number one cause of diver accidents was was diver error, and I would say the diver error in this is uh, doing this without you know proper supervision. And when you're a brand new diver, you know you need to have a, a qualified instructor there holding your hand through it. And you know we all done our initial training in a pool, and you know in a, in a very supervised environment, and you know and starting off not even over our head, you know, we're starting off in a, you know, in four feet of water or if you're short or two feet of water, you know, but in any event, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of mistakes happen here and with the tragic outcome. Yeah. I'm just doing a little bit of a different search. See if maybe I can get something to come up. Um, uh, let's see, look at another article and it's pretty much saying the same things. They have a little bit different picture. Uh, yeah, but saying the same thing, their oxygen pipe snapped. Um. Well, you know, it's it's a common mistake that non-divers make, uh, referring to our tanks as oxygen tanks. You know, I mean, we, we all know that it's compressed air because and you can't breathe straight oxygen you no know, deeper than I think it's what is it fifty feet? And then you reach a no, it's it's forty feet straight oxygen. Anyway, I mean, don't do it upon, upon what I'm saying here because obviously I don't know exactly. Right. Have, yeah. But, uh, you know, we, we know we don't breathe straight oxygen, but how many times have the diver people referred to your tanks as oxygen tanks? Because they don't know. It's just a, it's a simple mistake, you know. Yeah. Um, but Chuck Cousteau tried that. It didn't, it didn't work so well for him. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's go ahead. They, go ahead. That's when they found, found about oxygen toxicity. So. Yes. The next one up is the, this is a sponsored content, so we're going to, believe this is a press release and the only reason it's a press release is they want you to buy more uh, and this is a, a follow-up to an article we had where it's the 200 dollars lightweight underwater breathing device and it raised over a million dollars this is the scorkle compact lightweight breathing device for quick shallow dives and it is topped off using it now in this article they say topped off using a hand pump i want to say originally they said it was filled up so i guess they're they're uh, let's users swim underwater for up to 10 minutes if you happen to be about 22 pounds in size. Uh, and it doesn't say that. I just added <laughs> yeah. that in there. But that's the only way you are getting 10 minutes out of this tank is that you're at six inches of water. You breathe one breath every 30 seconds, and your lung is the size of a teacup. Uh, having reached its funding goal within just four hours, the Scorkle has ticked over $1 million Australian backing on Kickstarter and is set for delivery this October. 
And it says, although it's not a direct replacement for full-on scuba breathing apparatus, it is ideal for underwater scenarios where snorkels don't give you enough time to work. It is up to 10 minutes of air. That figure will depend on how heavily you breathe, but there are plenty of times... There's plenty of time to unjam a propeller or retrieve a waveward pair of sunglasses without surfacing. When air runs out, owners are able to refill directly from a scuba tank using an or using an optional high-pressure hand pump. Because it's hand-powered and has a built-in air fil- filter made of the same material as mechanical pressors normally used to fill, refill scuba tanks, there's no risk of air contamination by moisture, oils, carbon monoxide, or carbon dioxide. has a built-in filter. So I guess they're betting that you won't pump this thing up by hand enough times to wear out the filter. Because those filters are age-based, humidity-based, temperature-based. So they're not forever. Yeah, I mean, I mean you can't, you know, allow any kind of humid air into a scuba tank. It'll do all kinds of motion and moisture condensation and lots of problems. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was against this thing when it first came out. You know, I think this is, you know, we see... Some of these Kickstarter programs that uh, people in the know are pretty skeptical of, and you know this is one that I think is a really bad idea. I just I just don't think that you should be diving without proper instruction. You know, you I mean, right. okay, you 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 go down to you know it, it, it's going to have to be a balanced regulator for it to work. Okay, but you have no redundancy, so you know you you take a a, a breath at you know twenty feet and come up. Well, guess what? You can have a lung overstent injury even from, from, from 20 feet down, okay? Right. And are you even going even to get a full breath at 20 feet? And what, hap- what happens when you are down at 20 feet and, all, and you know, you're out of air, okay? And you, and you don't have a, um, a bailout because this thing's even smaller than a bailout. Yes. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, this, this thing is just inviting Darwin. I mean, we, we all know that, that Darwin is at work with a lot, of, a lot of scuba diving accidents and all, but this is like, you know, Entrapment with Darwin here, you know. Yes. That make it sound so good and fun because you know the public is, you know, they're pretty envious of what we do. You know, they're kind of, you know, you know, amazed at what at what we do and how we're able to stay down for so long. And you know, that they they think they don't understand the mechanics. And actually, there's a lot of science that backs up what we do. But yeah. you know, this to them is it is a shortcut. Hey, I can be a diver without an instructor. Yeah, you can be a whole lot of trouble without an instructor, as we saw in the previous article. Yeah. So there's they're saying that if you're non scuba trained diver stay less than 9.8 feet and to ensure you do that they've actually drawn a line completely around the united states at that depth so you know when you've gone to be <laughs> wonder where that line came from yeah okay. it just it just okay. showed up uh mm-hmm. but if you definitely have to get one which i don't think you should there are they, at the time of this press release it said there are three days remaining it ends at 6 p.m july 7th which is Tomorrow night, as of this recording, by the time you hear it, it will be passed. But $199 U.S. And this is a case you know, of, a, I was going to say, this is a case of, if, if you talk to people in appliance engineering or something, and and the reason why we're in a disposable society is because we don't want to pay what something really should be. We want to pay what we wish it was. And I think there are many people who are going to say, well, I've always wanted to try diving, but I don't want to pay all that money. I can use my uh, goggles I have that I used for my swim meet when I was 17, and then I'll just use this tank, and now I'm scuba diving. Yeah, and they and they go down, and you know, just just um, just clearing your ears going down, 
to 20 feet. Well, even 9.8 feet, you know, clearing your ears a handful of times or clearing your mouth a handful of times, and you're out of air on that on that, on that puppy just like that. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm seeing the use for this thing here is, uh, you know, anyone seen that movie Horrible Bosses? This is something you buy for your horrible boss on, on Boss's Day, you know? Or maybe it's like a, <laughs> yes. a gift for that. They're really rotten ex-wife of yours or ex-husband, okay, whatever, yeah. we got to be politically correct here. We are equal opportunity offensive here, okay? Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, yeah, this is, this is that, that gift you get for somebody that, <laughs> that the person who has everything and really gets on your nerves and you're, and you're sick of it. You get them this and you're done with it, you know? So, <laughs> But then, okay, you're probably going to be, you know, manslaughter, you know? I don't know. I mean, thank you, no. Well, is is this, is this like a mattress? Do they have like a tag on it that you know you you can't cut off? You know, please read this completely and sign this waiver. And yeah, you can't cut off. Remove the uh, the the purchase of the uh, you know, sticker from buying it because uh, you know thing. I mean, this thing is this is bad. I I, I just can't be, even begin to start with what the bad news is on this thing here. <laughs> So, but they, they, a million dollars, goodness. Well, you know, like they're, they're cashing in on the amazement of the public with, you know, scuba diving. You know, I mean, there, there's a, a fair amount of it in the news here and there, and the media sure likes to to uh, jump on whenever there's a, an accident. So it's definitely in the public's eye. And, you know, yeah, like you said, this is, you know, a shortcut to scuba diving. What's, excuse me, excuse me. Don't take that out of my account. This is marketed as a shortcut to scuba diving, when in reality it's a shortcut to put you on the wrong side of the grass. Yeah. Eric is saying, uh, friends, be aware when your wife gets you one of these after a life insurance change. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Eric knows what's up. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, man. So, uh-huh. Maybe, maybe Rodney needs to buy a few of these for, for the beavers down there. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, how long can you hold your breath? And uh, that, that's a question I always think of whenever I see this next article. This one was out of DeeperBlue.com. And they have a new world record. Sofia Gomez, Irby, sets a new CMAS Bifin freediving world record. This is coming out of the, uh, Dominica today as Colombian freediver Sofia Gomez Uribe can add the title a world record holder to a resume. She sets a new CMAS Freediving world record at 83.1 in Bifin's constant weight. The dive was completed in 2 minutes, 43 seconds, and was part of D- Dominica Dive Fest, which is the longest-running scuba dive and water sports festival in the Caribbean. Sophie was over the moon at her dive and had this to say to Deeper Blue, I'm really happy that I made a dive. I was kind of nervous this morning, but I used everything that my coach Johnny told me to use to focus that energy on the dive and keep me present, happy, and strong. I'm really, really happy. Jonathan Sunex, her partner and coach, had to say, we'd like to thank the Blue Element Safety Medical Media Teams. You know who you are. Uh, Fundica Sofia Perez de Sato BBVA Sunto Academy in Oceaneer. I'm guessing these are sponsors in her area. Also, Dive Buddy, oh, Buddy Dive Dominica, the fantastic crew for providing boat logistics, Dominica Water Sports Association for organizing the annual annual Dominica Dive Fest and providing the support. We'd also like to thank the local people of Soufri, Scottshead, Dominica, who have gotten behind us and welcomed us into their beautiful country. 
Not only is the world record for Sofia, but the first Colombian to hold a freediving world record. The previous CMAS world record was held by Alinka Arnik from Slovenia at a depth of 82 meters, set during the CMAS World Championship in Kos, Turkey, 2016. Is this a case where they moved the record down so it went to 83.1 meter? So it was 82 before? So are they just going to keep dropping it one meter more every year so they can get press time? Well, you know, if you, I mean, if you if you want the record, you're only going to have to beat it by, you know, right. a centimeter. So, and, and, and I'm sure that they are pushing the threshold. Now, it gets my attention on this, is that uh, how apparently free diving is getting so popular that they're having to, you know, have all these, you know, different categories to it now. Because, you know, now they're talking about bifins and consistent weight. Well, I assume that, that means that you have a different category for using that, that monofin, which we often see them using, looks like, kind of like a fish tail. Yeah. Um, or using, you know, using, you know, a variable weight deal, which, you know, I guess that the record for free diving last I heard was uh, 203 meters. That's what my last heard it was. But, but that was clearly, uh, you know, a different criteria. But I guess it's big enough. Now you've got all kinds of different classes in it. Well, yeah, they've got some where they use a sled, they have some where they have weight on them. Yeah, you're, you're right. There's all sorts of different ones. Uh, but I still want to, you know, if we, I had to do the math. And let's see, how, how deep was that? Because they, they talked in meters, 83.1 meters. So we're talking, what, about 250 feet more down? I mean, that's deeper than I've gone with scuba gear. Yeah. 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 So still an accomplishment. Well, I know that. I know that, uh, you know, the people that are practiced for it and do it regularly can stay down six minutes. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, so now, is, is she being pulled down or is she going down on her own? I think in the fin categories, uh, did it say, let's, let's look at this. Uh, constant weight. So the weight can't change. And they didn't mention a sled, so I'm going to so guess be- that she wasn't. So I think like a sled is, is I think the variable weight because a sled is the sled pulls you down and then when you get down, you and let go of the sled and you swim up. So, so the, that's, that's on its own. Yeah. So this one, constant well, weight well, means whatever weight she went down with, she's coming up with. Well, but with the sled also, they have a, they have a lift bag that pulls you back up. So you, you're, you're being assisted up, you're being assisted down. Yeah. Um, with, the, with this, it sounds like, I mean, I, obviously I know nothing about the sport, but I'm inferring that uh, she swam down to that depth and swam back up from that depth. Yeah. Um, which, when you think about it, I mean, that would really up your um, oxygen requirement if, if you're having to swim that kind of distance. I mean, you're, you're almost swimming, you know, what you said, it comes out to like uh, 240 feet. Uh, having to swim that kind of depth, you know, distance underwater, you know, swimming 500 feet underwater, that's going to bring a lot of oxygen. And you're doing that based on just what's in your lungs? Yes. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, so she did uh, amazing. Congrats. And it wouldn't be me, I can tell you that. Yeah. And let's see this next article. Scuba divers compete in the fourth annual Sarasota Lionfish Derby. Scuba divers are invited to compete for cash by netting or spearing lionfish the fourth annual Sarasota Lionfish Derby. Moat Marine Laboratory is hosting the event July 7th through the 9th, which is this weekend at Ken Thompson Parkway. Derby series consists of four events, 
This one being the first in the series, there'll be more than $3,500 in cash prizes. Also on July 9th, the five culinary partners will compete to prepare the best lionfish dishes. This is open to the public, but if you want to get a taste, you'll need a ticket. Space is limited, so if you're looking to register, check out Reef Environmental Education Foundation. Looks cool. If you can't beat them, eat them. Yeah. I'm not getting the fish load on mine, though. So. Yeah. It, it, it kind of ties into our earlier conversation about the beavers, actually. Uh, the Majestic Great Lakes Lighthouse has the 1905 shipwreck on its beach. One of the series of stories on Michigan and Great Lakes Lighthouses for many more stories and amazing lighthouses, Great Lakes. Uh, 40-mile point lighthouse, the stately 1896 White Tower is more than an unusual name. It has a 1905 shipwreck on the beach in the shallow waters below the tower, wreckage of the Joseph S. Fay bulk freighter built in 1871. The lighthouse got its name because it's 40 miles southeast of Old Mackinac Point. His wow is 40 miles northwest of Thunder Bay. It's constructed as part of a plan that ships sailing Lake Huron from Mackinac Point to the St. Clair River would always have a lighthouse in view. Yeah, my apologies to the I cannot seem to get to quick and drag and share. Oh, so. yeah, here, let me paste this into the chat room so they can they can have a copy. Yeah. What? Yep. And somehow it pasted something else in. Here's here's the actual article. Uh, and, and the article has some nice photos if you want to see photos of it. Uh, and again, thanks to Jim Billings for keeping our website up to date. Uh, he'll have the show notes in about the time as you uh, listen to this. You can head to the website, www.scubaobsessed.com, and follow along and get to see these wonderful photos that make excellent radio as we talk about them. No doubt. Now, have you, uh, is this one you've dove on before, the Joseph Fay? I have, I have not been there. Uh, I think there was somebody on Facebook was talking about this. Was it Eric you commented on the post? Was it, was it you or Becky was talking about... Uh, being at that lighthouse, I think Eric, yeah, I know Eric has been there. He's in our chat room right now. No, I've not been there. Yeah, I've been there. I've been, I've been near there. Yeah, Eric says, uh, I want to dive this wreck. I've been to the lighthouse and walked the beach. Part of the wreck is on shore, which they do show in this article as well. Uh, they show part of it right there. Uh, well, I mean, this is a story where, uh, the ship ran aground, and then a large wave came and broke the bow off the ship and carried the bow up on shore with the uh, captain and ten of the crew. And you know, it's, uh, it's it's a hell of a story. Oh wow! Um, so the, the, there's probably you know, and one of the bow section that got broken off. It probably is you know the, the portion of the ship still out there, although as shallow as it is, no doubt over the years, much of it's been pushed ashore and broken up and lost. Yeah, it, it, it's a hell of a story. But yeah, forgive me, it was either uh, Becky Gagan, Scott, of was talking on Facebook about being at this lighthouse this week and reiterating the story. I know Eric commenting on, uh, you know, it, it can be one to take a look at. I mean, you do, this, this is a shipwreck you can see right on shore. I imagine it's, it's only going to be just a, you know, a series of boards there, but still, it's a shipwreck with a hell of a story behind it, too. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think the the photo I saw was a sh- was boards with some uh, rivets through it, uh, where they had been attached, kind of like what we see out of shipwreck. But this this could be the crack 
that uh, you know a little bit of heroin or, or meth that gets you interested in scuba diving. So maybe you go visit this, and, you, and you're right there near Thunder Bay. You might, if you're gonna visit this white this lighthouse, you might as well head down to Thunder Bay and take a look at their museum and, and really get hooked. Well, yeah, and you know Thunder Bay has got a great museum there. They have that one put together by Noah that has you know many many artifacts in there, and there's a great deal of explanation as to what what creates a shipwreck and what the you know, ship goes through after it sinks and how how uh, what Mother Nature does to it. They have a replica in that museum of the Cornelia Windiate, which is a great replica. I'm not qualified to dive yet, but hopefully in your future, uh, just north of there. Um, but yeah, they have a, a ship in the museum, and the stern section is even painted up like the Windiate supposedly was originally painted. But then as you progress toward the bow, kind of been degraded to show... You know, okay, this is what it looks like after it sinks. This is like how how it looks like after it's been on the bottom for so many years. The windy, of course, is what is you know, intact and solid, whereas the, the exhibit there, well, you know, I'm not going to tell you. You need to go see it for yourself. Uh, but they have, you know, lots and lots of artifacts, lots and lots of great stories. Uh, what I really enjoyed up there were all the different, uh, you know, uh, sepia and black and white photographs they had of the ships in action. You know, so, so many of these old boats going up and down through, through the pier heads, um, you know, under sail, under steam. Um, it's it's a great museum up there. It's kind of one of those places which if you're a diver, you, you kind of have to hit it at least once, maybe three times. Um, and, of course, you have the uh, the shipwreck tour out there, the, uh, the same group which owns the uh, shipwreck tour up there at Munising, Richard Rocks has one here and honestly i prefer the one up at unison but this one is very well worth seeing they take you out into the harbor and show you a number of wrecks on the bottom and visibility is wonderful once you get up get away from the, the river um you've got you know quite often you've got 40 foot visibility in 20 foot of water and you can see all kinds of really cool stuff there you know this class book tour um I want to say it's about thirty dollars a head to take, to take the ride, but it's well worth it. Well worth it. Well, excellent. And Eric just posted a another article in the chat room here about the uh, forty mile forty mile point lighthouse. Pulling this up here, but yeah, there's a, a lot of information on this. Is that the act? Oh, okay. I'm seeing a a pilot house here. Not quite the connection to that one. That's not the pilot house from the ship that washed ashore. I I wouldn't think so. I don't think it would be in condition, and at that time frame, they would have tried to save it. I think that's something. No, that, no, that that that, light, that shipwreck happened in 1905, and this was 1912. So, ready to move on to the Columbia article? Yeah, I I am. I thought I had that one preloaded, and I don't. And right now, I am watching a spinning wheel on my browser. This lovely internet we have in the rural parts of the state. So, uh, but the article, I, I can get a gist of the beginning is they're going to salvage a shipwreck and I think there's a bunch of gold on it. <laughs> so, well, I mean, let me try again to load here. Cause I, I'm having, I mean, it's not just you. I'm having real issues with, uh, things are moving real chunky here. Um, I'm hearing that Eric tells my, my audio in the chat room isn't terrible, but, I think my connection's a little bit strained, but there's the link is in the chat room now. So, getting it to load. 
the Tego Daily Times. Yes, I think that's the one. Columbia, Columbia is making progress towards salvaging a Spanish galleon carrying jewels and coins at Saint more than 300 years ago. President Juan Manuel Santos said on Wednesday local time after receiving a proposal from an investor to bring it to the surface. The ship in San Jose, thought by historians to be carrying one of the largest unsalvaged maritime treasures, sank in 1708 near the historical Caribbean port of Cartagena, and its records was located in 2015. The discovery of the ship, the most important that navigated in our seas during colonial times, began the new chapter in the cultural and scientific history, not only of Colombia, but of the entire world, Santos said on national television from Cartagena. Questions about navigation, world trade, about colonial costs will be answered. The government will accept further offers to recover the ship and its treasure, Santos said. A museum will be built to show its artifacts found in the wreckage. Santos did not close the behind the first proposal or its terms. Sonar images so far have revealed bronze cannons made specifically for the ship, arms, ceramic, and artifacts. Archaeological excavation and scientific tests on the wreck will continue to ensure it can be properly preserved, Santos said. The San Jose was part of the fleet of King Philip V who fought the English during the War of Spanish, Spanish Succession. Some 600 people died on the, in the shipwreck when an English fleet engaged the galleon in a gunfight. A team of international experts, the Colombian Navy and the country's archaeology institute discovered the wreck in 2015. The San Jose was the subject of a legal dispute between Colombia and Sea Search Armada, a U.S.-based salvage company, which said that in 1981 it had located the area where the ship sank. The company and the government agreed to split any proceeds from the wreckage, but the government later said all treasure would belong to Columbia, a view that was, that was backed by U.S. court in 2011. Okay, so found in 2015, they're fighting over it in 2011. The timeline doesn't quite add up here. I just, but, I, yeah. Or, or maybe this is a case of where they found it. They thought they found it on another. They had another stud, another object, and they thought it was that shipwreck. And they went through all the legal part, and then later discovered it wasn't it. So they had already done the legal wrangling, and then when they re, when they actually did think they found it, then they kind of tried to retroactively provide that. I'm just giving them the. I'm giving everybody the benefit of the doubt here. They could have easily yeah. just completely screwed this up and. The timeline's wrong. Yeah. I, I see your point. I, I mean, I, I would think that, you know, once, I mean, if, if, if a wreck of this magnitude is found, which has this kind of treasure in it and has this historical importance to it, you would think they would immediately begin, uh, you know, trying to pull the gold out of it. I mean, if, if they had the right to do it, they would certainly do it, you know, before someone else started, before, you know, the illegals got involved with it. Then, uh, yeah. you know, if you have claimed is the ship, but it's not because now you're excavating a reef and then it's not a ship, well, then that kind of invalidates your claim, but I don't know how this legal stuff works here, and plus with different different countries and third parties, and yeah, I mean, um, it, I'm sure it's in, it, it, there's probably been journals written on this thing going on. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have our own thing that we've talked about many times on the show, is how many, to- how many different ways of the griffin. Every time a, a piece of stick that comes up and Somebody says, hey, this is the griffin, all the legal wrangling that happens. It's not a stick. It's a stake net, okay? Sticks are what we use to, 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 to keep beavers away, okay? Yes. So, 
which is a, a joke from earlier in the podcast. Yeah, so, if you, if, you, if you missed it, I don't know how you would have. <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've we've beaten that beaver to death by now. Yes, yes, we have with and with we, a stick, we, by the way. And we don't condone beating beavers. That's not an appropriate thing to do. Uh, no, no, no. The, depending beavers, on the, the context, beavers must be beavers must be handled with care. If you have a complaint, send it to the show at scubaobsessed.com, or we'll promptly delete the, the complaint. Yeah, uh, attention Darren, not attention yeah. Kevin. I mean, Kevin, you know, I'll forward I'm, I'm it to a harmless bystander. Well, actually, what we'll do is, yeah, you, I'll, is you, I'll forward it to everybody and we'll mock it, you know, because that's how we are. That's that's a, that's how we roll. Yeah, but I'd get myself in, in all sorts of – it'll yeah. be in the show, the show notes. Nothing like shaming people for being – Sensitive. Well, you know what? We could get a lot more people involved with Patreon if we started getting a little vindictive like that, you know? I mean, <laughs> hey, if you let yourself remove from it, get on the Patreon, it's going to cost you 50 bucks a week to get, you know, your, oh. your, your self deleted off. Go ahead and send us some complaints here. Yeah, come on, bring it on. Yeah. There's got to be some Russian hackers somewhere we can, we can bribe. <laughs> oh, you be. You be careful. I, I don't mind talking about, you know, the CIA and the FBI and bombs on this podcast. We do not talk about, you know, the KGB. I mean, those guys over there, you know? Yeah. No. You're going to have Putin out there knocking on your door, okay? Putin, He's a Putin scuba diver. He, he would like us. Don't you think so? Yeah, well, well Putin's going to send his, his, his little boy Trump to come get you. You better watch it, all right? So. <laughs> So let's see. We we we're, we're now up to insulting fifty eight percent of the uh, the listeners. So well, we have uh, a good what thirty two percent left. Forty two percent. Forty two percent. We can't do math. Counting, you know. Well, you know, I'm give us, I'm, give us time. Give us time. We're, 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 we are non discriminatory alienation. Okay, so yeah. alienation. That's our, that's our other podcast, by the way. Alienation. Is it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay. Well, that does oh, it for scooping the news. As if we could have anything more going on. Uh, and and while we're yeah. at it, we should thank some people. We'd like to thank uh, WRVO Radio for putting us on the air. At least we think we're on the air. They may just be deleting the episode so we don't ever get seen again. Uh, WRVO Radio. If you hunt like the hunting, fishing, great outdoors, then you're going to love our WRVO Radio. Go to our website www.scoobobsessedx. Scroll down to the bottom, and we'll have links to tell you how to get there, and you can listen to all their programs. They're on TuneIn Radio, and there's a variety of other ways you can listen as well. We recommend it highly. Um, as far as interacting with us, we're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash obsessed. We're also on Twitter at obsessed. The website is www.scubaobsessed.com. As we said earlier, our email for feedback is the show at scubaobsessed.com. There's also a contact page and a website. Go on to the fan map. Let us know where you are. We'd love to see where you are in the world. We'd love to have a, a pin from every country in the world just to let everybody know where they're listening from. And I always feel like I'm missing one other plug whenever I do that. But let's get to the point of the show. We talk about scuba diving, and everybody knows it has not been me. In fact, I probably need to just list my stuff on eBay because it's been that long since I've gone diving. Uh, how about you, Kevin? What have you been up to? Mm, I don't know where to start. I don't know. I don't want to be all about Kevin here. Yeah, I, 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 I've been diving my butt off, you know, so it's <laughs> that time of year. So. As it should be. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's. It's been a great, I mean, it's been hard to get out on the big water because um, 
it just seems every weekend we get a great big gale comes through here and it's really tough to get out. But, you know, it's kind of hit and miss. But when you get out, you do get rewarded with some, some great visibility and uh, we had some great dives. Uh, on uh, Sunday, along with uh, my boy Jason um, and fellow Sean, having got the last name, we went out and dove the North Shore tug there out of uh, Saga Tug there. Uh, great dive, um, kind of deep. 150 feet bottom, but great visibility. We have a guy with us to decide he was going to do it in a wetsuit. Good for him, you know. Um, we had 40 degrees on the bottom down there, okay? He's in a wetsuit. It doesn't take very long. Um, an interesting recovery down there, though. Um, I'll share that on the Mud Club page. Um, Jason saw it first, so he had dibs, but, but I, I recovered it. So I, I recovered it and gave it to him to do what he wanted to do with it. We found a, uh, not just simply a downrigger ball, but it had a, a fish hawk attached to it, which is a temperature probe. Um, I guess they go up about 200 bucks. So, kind of a cool recovery thing to find down there. Uh, Fisherman probably was pretty happy with us that down. Now, what, uh, what, what track did he see, lose this on? This would be the North Shore Tug, which is out oh. of Saugatuck. Ooh, and yeah. I don't know why they're fishing, I don't know why they're fishing that deep. I mean, it's like I used to fish quite a bit. You know, all you get down there is an occasional lake trout, and they're kind of not usually at that depth, but you know, so be it. Yeah, he stuck his cannonball right into the wreck there and, you know, got yanked off, and you know, something we, yeah, that a little bit of treasure to bring home with us. Yeah, I, I think he learned a lesson on that. He must have had his downrigger set wrong, because I can't believe you would want to be at that depth. Yeah, I mean, it's 150 at the bottom, and, you know, with drawback and all that, that means he's probably got, you know, 200 feet of cable out in his downrigger, so he'd be running that low. And, yeah, but, you know, it cost him his uh, fish hawk probe anyway. So, uh, you know, it'll be on eBay. No, I, I gave it to Jason. Jason's he's, he's in touch with the local uh, fishing clubs up there, and he's going to find who owns it or something and see what happens. I don't know. But it, it may have been down there since last fall because there was no no one had dove it for a while, it looked like. So, although we had a kind of a, an eye-opener out there, actually has the morning break loose on us with three divers in the water. Ooh. We got a little hairy. Yeah, um, that makes for a tough swim. Yeah, yeah well, we, we had, um, you know, boat tenders. Um, you know, uh, Jason's uh, fiance Amy, was our uh, surface support. So while Jason, Sean, and myself were in the water, uh, we're actually going down the line to the wreck, and I go kind of slow because I'm on the rebreather, and the breather we got to drop slow, come slow. And I hear a pop right next to me. Well, there goes the line, and this very frayed mooring goes right by me. Um, so I, I went down to join them so we could abort together. And uh, we came up, and, you know, um, oh, Sean's girlfriend was in the boat, too, and they they, they, got, they brought the boat around, picked us up and all that, got to deploy our uh, surface marker buoys, and, hey, come get us. This is like a movie we don't want to be part of, you know. And uh, they came around and collected us. It's kind of cool. I got pictures of it all, too, so. You know, I'm a, you know, I got the GoPro running you the whole time. And we came back and rehooked in and went back down again and had a pretty good dive on it. It was, a, you know, a real decent dive. That was the one that Sean in the wetsuit didn't hang around for a long time. But don't blame the guy. We It was 40 degrees down there, and it was dark, but 60 foot, 60 foot visibility, too. Then we had another boat show up, and then a storm came in, so the other boat, unfortunately, didn't get a dive, and we had to kind of rush in to beat the storm. Then... Um, See Tuesday, Fourth of July. Uh, took a couple of guys out to the uh, Ann Arbor Number Five 
Bob Underhill and Jeff Boss joined me out there. We planned on having two boats go out there, but the other boat had some issues, so it ended up being just a single boat. I also had my little buddy Rhonda with me for uh, she was our surface support, and we had a great we had a pretty good dive. You know, things got a little bit you know goofy, but things always do. Um, you know, decent viz. This was about 40, 50 feet, which is kind of disappointing for that wreck. You know, we're, we're used to we're kind of spoiled. We're used to having like 80 foot viz on the Ann Arbor number five, but we did that. You know, you know we all had you know pretty lengthy dives down there. Um, got done with that. Came in. And I've been called. I, I do some work for the buoy team um, here in Michigan. There is a uh, cooperative project going on between the DNR, the Coast Guard, the uh, Michigan Preserves, and the Lake Care Association. Uh, the plan is to get 186 different shipwrecks buoyed throughout the Great Lakes, and it's complicated. And there's a lot of regulation involved and a lot of stipulations to how these things are done. Um, part of it, we, we have to go out before. Because what, what, what's, what's happening is that they're actually, the DNR is dropping a permanent mooring by a number of the wrecks in the area. And from that, an actual navigational buoy with a mooring line attached to it will be set up right alongside the uh, the buoy over right on alongside the wreck, very similar to what we already have established in the Thunder Bay Preserve up there by Alpina. Uh, we have to get out there before the DNR boat and set up a couple of marker buoys on the, the wreck. The uh, DNR wants us to have a buoy placed on the bow of the wreck, a buoy placed on the stern of the wreck, and then a buoy placed, uh, I think it's like 40 feet minimum, to the north of the wreck, and the idea is being to the north of the wreck, the uh, storm wreck into the uh, into the wreck, the um, and they have this allotment of train wheels, which I don't know how much they weigh, but you know it's more than a car anyway, no doubt. And they come out there with their big buoy tender and drop the train wheels. And it's been kind of complicated because weather's gotten in the way, and mechanicals have gotten in the way, and logistics have gotten in the way. And, Murphy's gotten in the way every, you know, a few times as well. But uh, just uh, today, yes, today's Thursday, just today, the permanent mooring anchors were dropped alongside the Ironsides and alongside the state of Michigan, which is up there by, um, well, I believe the state of Michigan is out of, is it Pentwater? Or Mon it's Montague, yeah, out of Montague. And well, these are kind of the pilot program for setting up these uh, buoys. It's kind of a learning process because it's never really been done in the past having, uh, you know, volunteer divers doing, um, you know, groundwork, underwater work for the DNR. And it's pretty basic, simple stuff, but, you know, we're volunteer divers and we don't, we're not really experts on this. So we're kind of to figure out as we go. And we'll be a little better with it each time. But it's out there, I say, on, on Tuesday... So, yeah, and I actually made two dips down there, so I did the Ann Arbor, and then I did a double dip on the Ironsides on the same day. <laughs> it was a little bit. I was feeling wow. that one. Yeah. yeah. We can get out there. Well, good. I'm glad somebody is. I'm living vicariously through you getting out and getting that diving in. And then Mac's been getting diving in when we re resume the show in two weeks. 
We'll hear about Mac's experiences. Now, listening to the show, you're not going to notice him missing anything because we have been recording and then posting about a week later. And I should, if I can get everything all edited this weekend, have a show that we will post sometime this next weekend. So there shouldn't be a gap in coverage. And then we'll be back to recording and posting almost at the same time. I, I should also mention that I, um, I one of our listeners here, uh, Eric Roloff, and uh, Betty Rob, Betty Rob, organizing knives out of the Sass Knife Shop, and uh, dove with those guys last week over to uh, Camp Bell Lake, and that was a good time. You know, uh, I did not, I was not on top of my game, but uh, you know, I encourage anyone who's um, a, a local diver to get involved with. Uh, any of the, the, the dive shop uh, dives they have out there. Now, the, the dive shops aren't sponsoring these and all that, but they are kind of organized through the, through the dive shop's website. You know, the, the Mud Club does stuff, uh, you know, kind of... They're, they're posted at Wolf's Dive Shop anyway. Wolf's is behind them, but Wolf's is... You know, they're, they're, they're organized there. Yeah. Um, you know, Bay's Divers has been organizing some on Tuesday nights, I believe, now. Um, so, you know, so, yeah, you, you can actually do local dives here with local divers three nights a week. You know, Days Divers has got something going on on Tuesdays. Uh, the, uh, you know, SAS Club is doing stuff there on Wednesdays. Eric tells me they had 26 divers out there. Wow. Um, yes, yeah, I, 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 I could 26. not make the one yesterday. I could not make the one yesterday, but they had a uh, watermelon carving contest. And I guess they had 26 divers out there for the watermelon carving contest. That's a uh, that's a lot of divers. So yes, yeah, and the the reason they put these programs on is because you guys are actually diving. So if you mm-hmm. wish there was stuff like this and you hear about it going on, go out there and support them by actually getting in the water. That encourages these mm-hmm. dive shops and other people who are organizing it that there is actually some interest and they'll keep it up. And on Thursday we had the mud clubby the mud club divers are diving. Uh, Karen Mann posted on Facebook that they got out on the big lake. Uh, along with Jim Schultz, and the reason he's not on the podcast is because he's out diving, which is a perfectly valid excuse for missing the show, <laughs> getting yes, out there is. and getting some, some dives in. So uh, congratulations to the Muddies getting out on a Thursday night, and this weather is beautiful. It's a little toasty, and what's better when it's a little toasty, but getting out and getting in the water, that kind of makes things that much better. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, it, I mean it, anyone who, uh, no, I should – Somebody contacted me on Facebook the other day asking me where to go diving, what they could do in this area. And, you know, my answer is get a hold of your local dive shop because it it doesn't matter where you are. If you have a decent dive shop, and this might be actually kind of one of the ways to develop a decent dive shop or a, you know, mediocre dive shop, is, you know, is is there a group that's organizing dives out of that shop? Because dive shops really like it. For one, it keeps people diving, keeps people in the sport. It's better for their business. For two, when you go diving, hey, you lose stuff, you break stuff, you got to buy more. So yeah, yeah. let's organize out of the dive. Shop, you know, it yeah. works. If, but, if you you, you know, can't wear it out if you're not going out there diving, and they need to sell gear. So exactly. for them to sell gear, exactly. that people should be getting in the water. Exactly, and you know, I know that uh, you know uh, Rich Sinowick over there, Divers Incorporated. Both of his, his shops are organizing dives. They've got stuff going on in different quarries, and they've got you know, um, you know, local dive nights and things. And uh, you know, it's it's that time of year, folks. I mean, so many people they get certified, and 
put stuff in the closet. They made it, I'm a diver. And I was reading someplace that the average quote-unquote diver out there gets wet 12 times in their lifetime. And you break down the money you put in that dive gear, divide it by 12, divide it by the minute you're down there, and then it gets real pricey. But then you get, you know, people people in our club and people in the, you know, in the SAS club. I mean, Frank Pasek, uh diver, a regular diver over there with the uh, SAS group, just made his 700th dive uh, last week. So now he's at 701 because I'm sure he was there last. He was there last night. So these people are diving, and I mean, they're getting a lot of dives. And, and it's not, you know, that they are kind of geared towards the new diver. Okay, um, you know, they're, they're geared towards getting new divers comfortable enough to go on trips and do things and do more advanced, more advanced dives. But then you have an awful lot of veterans out there. You know, I mean, my, my buddy, uh, Dan, not the Dan Schultz that dives with Jim quite a bit, but a different Dan Schultz. Uh, you know, he's a tech diver and he dives like crazy. And yeah, he's out there, um, at the SAS dives in full tech equipment and all that. And, you know, doing a 30-foot dive in full tech gear, but it keeps them familiar in his equipment and keeps you fresh. And why not? I mean, give me a reason why you shouldn't do it, you know? I mean, um, get out there and dive. This is the time of year to, to do it, folks, you know? And doesn't matter whether you're listening here, you know, in the, the west side of Michigan or if you're listening in Australia or Slovenia or San Diego where we have so many people that, that tune us in. You've got local dive shops, you know, in nearly all these places. Look them up, see what they have going on, and go play. This is what we do. Certainly we do. And this is a perfect time of the year, especially if you're in the northern hemisphere. If you're in the southern hemisphere, come on up to the northern hemisphere. We'll get, we'll get you in the water. And uh, I like your, your comment earlier. Maybe that's a way of checking out the dive shop is if they don't know who's diving, where they're diving, or that diving's going on, then they probably aren't that long for this world as a dive shop operator. But every good yeah. dive shop I know of, uh, I mean, and they all have gaps where things may happen and there's not active diving going on. But in general, you're going to be heading into the good dive shops, and they can tell you who to get with if, if they're not putting dives on who is diving. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's not too hard to find out who the divers are in your area. You know, looking around on Facebook, um, checking with your friends, checking with, uh, you know, the charters, uh you know, they're going you know, to. The, the charters are going to encourage people to get together and stay current because you know the charters want the, their divers to be safe and they don't know their equipment. And the more you dive, the more you want to dive. I mean, there's a reason why they call us aquaholics. I mean, you know, don't, hey, one one dive is too many and a thousand is not enough. We got to get out there and dive. Oh, come on! I mean, right. uh, w- w- once you've been bitten by the wet bug, you're you, you never let's go of his teeth. So let's get out there. I mean. Uh, I don't know. It's just been. I've had so many great dives. I've, I've had, you know, I've been learning the rebreathers. So I've had some, you know, some kind of skunky dives where things didn't go so hot. I get through it and move on. And you know, I'm loving it. You know, I mean, my my little buddy Rhonda. You know, she just got certified through SAS. So we've been getting her out. And you know, we took her out to the Rockaway uh, two weeks ago. And you know, most of us here have been on the Rockaway a time, you know, a time or twenty. And yeah. we've seen it. What's down there? But you get a new diver out there, you know, I love it, taking a new diver out to a wreck, okay? Because then you get to see it through their eyes. And we were over there playing with the, uh, you know, that wreck always has uh, burbot in the uh, mass steps in the in, in the, in the keel box. 
and I was introduced to her to the burbot. And she was like, this is cool. I mean, we, we got out of the water, and she was really, really impressed with the burbot down there. And, you know, we've all played with the burbot before, you know, the, kind of like the, the, you know, the, the alley cats of the, of the shipwreck. And, <laughs> and they're everywhere. You know? Well, yeah, we, we had all we had some of them there because there was a great big one in a mast up. And I've got a, I've got a picture of her kind of hovering, looking in that mast up. And she kind of looks like a snake charmer because the, the head of the burbot is just kind of starting to stick out and, and check her out and look, and rough, look. She's kind of like wondering what to do. But what you don't see in that picture is that just after the burbot stuck his head out of there, I boosted it, and that burbot shot out of there like a rocket, you know? <laughs> it's kind of fun. But. Yeah, burbot, burbot, we also, if you've heard us talk about before, we call them lawyer fish. And they're, mm-hmm. they're an ugly fish that only a mother and a scuba diver would love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there, nothing really, you know, congenial about these things, you know. I mean, they look kind of like a, you know, a, a, you know, a dogfish in a in an eel mated or something, you know. I mean, they're <laughs> they're half fish, they're half eel. Uh, they're kind of gnarly and black looking, you know. Although some of them have some color, well, are lighter in color, but most of them are pretty, you know, nasty black looking things, you know. And but they're they're harmless. I mean, they don't yeah. come after you or anything. I mean, they're they just kind of hang there looking at you, and you can actually, if you if you're slow about it, you can actually reach out and touch them. Um, they don't, they're not, they're not a, aggressive or anything, you know. I mean, I'm not encouraging you to, to pet them or anything. You know, and actually, you're not supposed to touch the wildlife. I realize that, so yeah, don't go touch the wildlife, and then sue the podcast because Kevin told you. No, I'm telling you, don't touch the wildlife. But uh, you know, they are cool, and I might touch them, but don't don't do as I say and don't do as I do. Okay, so yeah. I I think the the bourbon are pretty smart. Need to, uh, they're going to be able to get out of your way. If if it's kind of like a coyote, if you can touch a coyote, there's probably something wrong with a coyote. Yeah, yeah. I don't know the, the bourbon. You know, there's a I don't know. It's a little joke that uh, Trotter was Trotter was talking. About. David Trotter, one of his presentations, was talking about bourbon, and, and I've used this joke a few times on people. And but you only do it like on. A, someone who really is a good diver don't do it on a, i would do it to ronda but and, and ronda's becoming a good diver she's a brand new diver right but what what you can do is you often will see them hanging out like on, on the railing of a ship just kind of looking at you because they, they kind of like to sit in the high points of the of the wreck and look down like a cat would yes and what you can do is you can you can get around behind the fish and try to get the fish between you and your buddy and then you reach out and touch it don't hit it or anything you know just just touch it and the thing will shoot off, and you know you can actually aim it at your buddy that way, okay? <laughs> and be careful though, because it might knock your buddy's mask off. Because you're talking about a six, eight pound fish going shooting off at thirty miles an hour, you know? <laughs> and so it, it, might, it might knock your buddy's mask off. So don't, don't do it to a fledgling diver by any means. No. And and you know, and they're, they're not dumb. I mean, they they're ter- they like their spots. I know the one that I goosed out of the hole over there at the Rockaway was kind of skulking around the. Uh, the the uh, the keel at that point definitely wanted to get his hole back, but because Ronda and I were hanging around there, he wanted no part of us. So he's like, "Hey, you, you you've already violated me once. I'm coming nowhere near you guys again." Yeah, you know? so. But yeah, they're they're cool. They're, they're big fish. You know, and they're not like big fish by saltwater standards, but uh, you know, I mean, they're commonly six eight pounds. You know, it's, yeah. you, you definitely see them coming. So. And we see these in the wrecks. They're the ones you see in the floorboards, the center keels, like you saw them in the mast step pockets. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but they, they, they sit someplace where they can, I don't know if they're eating gobies or what they're doing. I, I hope they're eating they're gobies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I blame gobies for poor Viz. No, I don't know. I mean, um, what do gobies are, I don't, I don't, I don't know what they're eating, you know. The muscles are clearing things up, maybe the gobies are too. I don't know. But they're kind of here to stay. We're stuck with them, so curse them all you want. They're here. Yeah, yeah. yeah not like we're going to change anything there. Yeah. Unless you could, like, collect enough of them and do, like, a little smelt. Uh, deep fry. I don't know if they're tasty or not. I mean, I, I, we were talking about the lionfish being good to eat, but has anyone had a goby? I've never heard of anybody eating a goby. Well, they're usually pretty small, too. I mean, you're paying not to clean those things. You know, unless you're doing, like, smelt bone in, you know. Yeah, but, that, that, that's what I was thinking, because of smelt. Oh, gosh, and now you're making me hungry. I haven't had smelt probably in 20 years. That's something my mom used to always cook. But uh, they're they're all over the wreck, uh, and that's why I say I blame them for the visibility because they'll be just along the floor. They'll be two to three inches a- apart from each other, and they're you know three to four inches long, maybe five inches in a big one, and they're just everywhere. Mm-hmm. And as you get within five feet of them, they swim off, and they they of course they're laying on the bottom, and they just stir up all the silt. They so, do, they do, they do. Yeah, the the finer the bottom material. The longer it uh, ruins the visibility. So, if you can get there, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, if you can get, if you're the first one down the dive and you're about five feet off the bottom, and you you don't invade their comfort zone, visibility is pretty good. But once they start to go, and then it's like a dom, it's like knocking over a domino. They all they kind of ricochets, and then they all move up, and the whole bottom, about three to four inches from the surface, will just start to get a little bit of haze going and it never seems to get better from there at least for the next five ten minutes yeah yeah and they, they respond to shadows too i mean if you're swimming over them and, and your shadow goes over them they, they get all frantic too so you know there's just there's, there's no way to win you know i mean they're they're on the wreck they, they like the wrecks they don't think they'd be you know they're probably putting a lot of organic material on the wreck which is, is not gonna help visibility i don't know which if they benefit or hurt them or not i really couldn't tell you but um, you know, they're here. we got to deal with it. So, well, cool. Oh, well. And you now, said... well, actually, Rob, Rob Noel was telling mm-hmm. me about how uh, gobies will actually eat zebra mussels. So there is a little bit of advantage to them. Uh, I would love to see that. Got... <laughs> now, well, you know, look up some of his videos on YouTube because Rob Noel's got a bunch of videos like on Cedarville and a lot of different wrecks around. Actually, he's videoed a number of the mud club dives. So if you want to see how, how to muck up a river, <laughs> take a look yeah. at Rob Noel's videos what we do to the river when we're out there, you know. But uh, he's got some stuff where, you know, he's like, I don't know, he's actually encouraging gobies to eat the mussels. And they actually will, will, will peck and chew away at the mussels. So um, are they going to you know, eradicate the mussels? Uh, probably not. But they have an interest in them, so. Well, whatever animal can decide uh, mussels are tasty and worth eating will certainly flourish in the Great Lakes the way they are now. But if, you can get the, if they can get the shell open, you know, I mean, yeah. uh, I, I imagine that, you know, the soft part inside wouldn't, you know, would, would appeal as much as a clam does to anyone else, but they're just, you know, they're, they're pretty well armored, so. Well, I think it is time for the show for us to thank some of our supporters. If you think this show is at least worth a dollar, why not go head on to our Patreon account 
give us any amount is appreciated. $3 or more will get you advanced copies of the show notes so you can follow along. Uh, watch our feed. We're going to be changing from TalkShoe to another service here very quickly. Still doing some testing, but we'll be pulling the trigger and uh, changing all the feeds coming up pretty soon. And we love our Dive Nitrox supporters. That's the only one we currently have is one of our first ones, which is Vanessa Homiak, and certainly appreciate her. If you're in the San Diego area, she is doing a lot of diving out there, posting stuff on Facebook, and she's got some excellent dives she does. Uh, yes, she does. She's been posting quite a bit. She's been out there probably more than any of us. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, jealous of her as well. So thank you, Vanessa, for supporting us, especially this long. Uh, we definitely appreciate it. We appreciate all our Patreon supporters. That helps us keep the lights on and the hosting going and everything moving. And if you have any suggestions for the show... Uh, it's not just a complaint line. We also appreciate anything that you like to see. The show at scubaobsessed.com. Uh, Kevin, you have anything you want to plug before we head out of here? want to encourage your listeners to use your local dive shop. We all like to get those bargains online, but those bargains online aren't going to fill your scuba tanks or service your regulators. Also, uh, support your local libraries. Every time you get a chance to help out with the millage and your boats do count on these things, um, you know, our libraries are massively underfunded. Then, you know, whatever support we can give them. And even if it's just traffic coming in out of their doors. And there's a wealth of information there, which you're not going to find on the Internet. So support your local libraries, please. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of resources there. Also, I think there's going to be an opportunity. We're going to get past this. Uh, the Internet's not going away. But you can't substitute a human being for an automated system. And I've been somebody who's no, been in... No. Uh, technology for well over 35 years and that that librarian just the knowledge they have and the the fact that they're in your community and helping you out there's going to be a lot that you can gain from them that you're not going to be able to gain uh, from online in many cases so uh, certainly uh, support those libraries because i'm sure what's going to happen is if they start to go away it's going to be nearly impossible to get them back mm-hmm. yeah i mean once these things I mean, and libraries which have closed. I mean, their their books are given away. Either they go to private collections or or worse. You know, it's uh, there have been plenty of libraries who have had to close their doors. <coughs> and you know, there's this there's information there which you'd never expect. I mean, you've got directories and all kinds of wealth information as far as for, for genealogy. <coughs> Excuse me. A lot of the genealogy stuff is being transcribed is being is being digitized because there's a lot of interest in that but then you know so many of the the newspapers <coughs> excuse me just the day-to-day stuff are that's the only place you're going to find them is going to the library and actually doing a hard copy search or, or right. to, to do the old micro feature so and for what we do as far as trying to find shipwrecks that's what you have to do you have to you know get you know you hear about the story about, okay, I want to go find the Alpina. And so you're actually going to try to locate the old articles. And that means going to the libraries, which may have uh, the newspapers, which cover that kind of stuff. And you're going to have to do the old-fashioned, you know, hey, I know this ship sank on this date in 1880, so you're going to be actually trying to, you know, locate the microfiche or the actual hard copies of these papers and looking for the details and the survivors' accounts and all that. And it's actually quite entertaining because, you know, uh, today our newspapers are all about trying to keep the facts right. 
but back then, you know, the uh, you know they were all about selling copy, and they they dramatized everything and exaggerated. I mean, they they had a storm of the century come through every week back then, you know, and <laughs> it's inter- it, oh yeah, it's entertaining, but always oh, drama. You know, you, you, hey, you think the the modern high schoolers got drama going on? No, they learned it from the uh, you know the turn of the century reporter. <laughs> I mean, they got nothing on them, yeah. so they wrote the book on drama. So, okay, well, we're, we're, we're to that point of the show. I'd like to thank uh, Rod from uh, the southern hemisphere of the, of the planet, and he has a joke for us this week. He was concerned that we would collapse without his terrible puns. So are you ready? Does it make a difference? Not ready. So here Bring we go. Bring it on. Yeah. After picking up the Pope at an airport and having gotten all his luggage loaded in a limo, and the Pope doesn't travel light, the chauffeur notices the Pope is standing on the curb. Excuse me, Your Holiness, says the chauffeur. Would you please take your seat so we can leave? Well, to tell you the truth, says the Pope, they never let me drive at the Vatican, and it's a lovely day, so I'd really love to drive today. I'm sorry, but I can't let you do that. I'd lose my job. What if something should happen, protests the chauffeur. There might be something extra in it for you, says the Pope. Reluctantly, the chauffeur gets in the back of the uh, car and the Pope climbs behind the wheel. The driver, click, the driver quickly regrets his decision. After exiting the airport, the pontiff floors it, accelerating the limo to 105 miles per hour. Please slow down, Your Holiness, pleads the worried chauffeur. But the, co- the Pope keeps the pedal on the metal until they hear sirens approaching from behind. Oh, dear God, I'm going to lose my license, moans the chauffeur. The Pope pulls over and rolls down the window as the cop approaches. But the cop takes one look at him, goes back to his motorcycle, and gets on the radio. I need to talk to Chief, he says to the dispatcher. The chief gets on the radio, and the cop tells him he stopped the limo going 105 miles an hour. So bust him, says the chief. I don't think we want to do that. He's really important, says the cop. The chief explained, all the more reason. No, I mean really important, says the cop. The chief asks, well, well, who do you have there, the mayor? Bigger. Governor, chief asks, bigger. Well, the chief says, who is it? I think it's God, the, the cop explains. What makes you think that? Well, for one thing, he's got the Pope as a chauffeur. <laughs> okay. All right. We are raising the bar on our jokes tonight. I'll go for that one. <laughs> ah, so on that note, go out there and get wet. And Mac would tell us to stay safe, and I'll say have fun doing it. Call recording has been completed.